All right. Well, good morning, everyone. We're so excited for uh, this afternoon. Hopefully, you're going to be making it back here with us for the fall fiesta and uh, just some awesome things happening in our church. I mean, come on. We're going to have snow in our parking lot. Isn't that pretty epic? Um, big shout out to Janet Orr. She jumped through a lot of hoops to make that one happen for us. So very excited. But this morning, we've got a great uh, message from God's Word from Hebrews chapter 11. So please open your Bibles there. Hebrews chapter 11. Today, we begin probably what is one of the most well-known sections of the book of Hebrews. That is chapter 11. It's been called uh, by many the Hall of Faith. Who's heard it called that before? The Hall of Faith. Exactly. So you know how in music or in sports we have these halls of fame where people are honored for their great achievements, whether it's in, um, say, baseball or rock and roll or, or acting. And a hall of fame, what it is, it's a tribute to the men and women who have done great things. And so there's been this play on words calling Hebrews chapter 11 the hall of faith. Because what the writer of Hebrews is going to do is he's going to highlight for us various men and women from the Old Testament, men and women who did some pretty amazing things because of their faith in God. And look, I, I don't mind when people call Hebrews chapter 11 uh, the hall of faith, but I've wondered if calling it that might actually be a bit of a disservice to the people of God. And what I mean by this is, you know, when, when I hear Hall of Fame or Hall of Faith, you know what I think of? I think of the best of the best. I think of spectacular achievements. I think of extraordinary people doing extraordinary things, things that I could not do myself. And, and that is where we might get tripped up because the men and the women that are going to be spoken about in Hebrews chapter 11, they really were just ordinary people with ordinary faith. These people were just like you and me. You and I are people with genuine faith, aren't we? And so who's to say that our lives of faith won't also include great things done for the Lord? Now, these people that we're going to read about, they did some pretty awesome things. And of course, we're going to see that these, these saints of old are meant to inspire us from Scripture about how to live for God. But, but if you look at the lives of these various men and women that will be mentioned throughout the next few weeks as we go through the book of Hebrews, do you know what else you're going to see about them? You'll see that these were people who also had great moments of failure. Sure, we could call this chapter the Hall of Faith, but it could be just as accurate to call this chapter the hall of shame. For instance, Noah got drunk. Jacob was a liar. Moses was a murderer. Rahab was a prostitute. And David was an adulterer. So what am I saying? I'm saying that these men and women who had great moments of faith are just like you and me, and that they also had great moments of failure. I like what the Apostle James says when he tells us in his epistle about how we ought to pray with faith. 
In James chapter 5, verse 16 through 17, it says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. And then look at what it says in verse 17. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years in six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Now look, I, I haven't prayed for rain to stop and then start up again over three and a half years like Elijah. Um, I'm not a member of the only surviving family of a worldwide flood like Noah. I'm not a forefather of an entire people group like Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob, and I haven't ruled over a kingdom like David or been an ancestor of, of Jesus like Rahab, but the point that I want to highlight is that the people in the hall of faith were ordinary people. You know, the characters of Scripture, though they're meant to inspire us and cause us to live great lives of faith, they were just people ordinary people, people with natures just like ours. You know, we are the same kind of human as the people that are in the Bible. We are people who are made in the image of God, and we are people with fallen natures because of sin. And so, sure, these, these people of Scripture, whether it's in the Old Testament or the New Testament, they did some really great things for God. And yet we also see in Scripture that these people did some really awful things against God. The people of Hebrews 11 are just that. They are people. People with failures, the same kind of failures that you and I have, and they are people with faith, the same kind of faith that you and I have. And here's what I believe is the best part of what I'm saying here, is that while these men and women varied in their failures and also varied in their successes, do you know what was the common truth about all of them? Every person who did great things for God in Scripture, the, the common truth about all of them is this, is that they all had the same God. And they all came to that same God in the same way, they came to him with faith. And so today, you and I can come to this same God in that same way. We can draw near to God by faith to receive God's grace. We can receive from God grace to empower great achievements that we might do for the Lord. And we can, in, we can receive grace to forgive us of great failures that we might do against the Lord. So much has already been said in this letter about how we are to draw near to God. We draw near to God on the basis of faith in order to receive God's power, mercy, and grace. We can't come to God on any other basis. And the people in the scriptures didn't come to God any other way except to come to God by faith. That's how you and I are to come to God. We don't come to God on the basis of our own moral goodness. We don't come to God on the basis of our own rightness or righteousness. 
not on the basis of our own achievements, not even on the basis of our own offerings and sacrifices. We simply come to God on the basis of faith. Because as we come to God with faith, that is how we receive God's power, mercy, and grace in our lives. And what this chapter is going to show us is how God has always related to his people in this way. God has only ever desired to relate to people on this simple level of faith. Now, we need to remember that this letter is making a case for the greatness and the superiority of Jesus Christ. Uh, We're being convinced that the new covenant in the blood of Jesus is so much better than the old covenant with the law. Jesus is the one in whom we put our faith, and it's through Jesus that we draw near to God. No one can draw near to God any other way unless they come through Jesus by faith to receive God's grace. That's it. That's God's plan. That's God's desire. That's God's will for all people and for all time. But that's not to say that those who lived in the time of the old covenant, that they did not have faith. They did, and and we're even going to see that they had faith in Jesus Christ. Although Jesus wouldn't come until after each person in this chapter had died, yet every person in this chapter that we're going to read about had faith in the promise of a coming Savior. And for that reason, we're going to see these saints of the Old Testament in heaven one day. That is, if if you have the same faith in the same God as them. Now, I have one more thing that I'd like to share before we get into the text today, into Hebrews 11, and it's this, is that, you know, people are often confused about how those in the Old Testament were saved. If, If we're saved through the person and the work of Jesus you know, by believing in his death and resurrection, then what did people do before Jesus lived and died and rose again? How did the Old Testament people receive salvation? Have you ever wondered this question? Well, unfortunately, many have often concluded that it must have been based on whether the people who lived before Jesus were either good or bad people. And and they've come to this idea that the people in the Old Testament Testament must have been saved by their good works. But that's not the case at all. You see, people who lived before Jesus were saved in the same way that you and I are saved. And that is not by good deeds outweighing your bad deeds, but rather by putting faith in Jesus Christ and the promise of his death and resurrection. Now, you might say, well, how's that possible, Daniel? How could these people have put faith in Jesus if Jesus hadn't even come yet? Well, this is how it works. And listen, it's really quite simple. Amen. Old Testament saints were saved by looking forward in faith to Jesus. New Testament saints are saved by looking backward in faith to Jesus. 
Jesus has always been and always will be the Savior of mankind. And the death and resurrection of Jesus has been positioned by God at the center of human history. So before the coming of Jesus, people were saved by a forward-looking faith to Jesus, whereas after the coming of Jesus, people are saved by a backward-looking faith in Jesus. And with that, I just want to remind you then very simply that it's always been about faith. And it's always been about faith in the promise of God to bring a redeemer. And so do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is the Savior of all? Because Jesus is the only way to be saved for all people and for all time And so it's always been through faith. That's why it said, the just shall live by faith. And with that said, let's now read our text from Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 1. We're going to go down to verse 7 today. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Verse 6, And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark For the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Amen. Don't you think the writer of Hebrews is a pretty fantastic author? And it kind of helps, you know, when you've got the Holy Spirit inspiring you. But, you know, I just love how he begins this section of the letter by saying, by giving really to us a solid working definition of faith. He's going to talk about faith all throughout this chapter, but in verse 1, he gives us a great definition. Hebrews 1 is one of the clearest definitions of faith we have in all of Scripture, and so this is what it says. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now, you might be like, that's not very clear. (laughs) Rather than doing this, rather than breaking down each word of that definition, let me read a a few other English translations to you. Uh, And I think what this will do is it'll help capture the heart of what this definition is. So I'm going to read from the NIV, the NLT, and the CEV. Anybody rocking those translations today? Some of you? All right, all right. So the NIV, the New International Version, says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for. And assurance about what we do not see. 
The New Living Translation says, faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. And then the contemporary English version says, faith makes us sure of what we hope for and gives us proof of what we cannot see. So if we take all of those versions together, then this is what we can say about faith. Faith is confidence, reality, and surety of what we hope for. Faith is assurance, evidence, and proof of what we cannot see. Hopefully these translations and these words just bring a little bit more clarity to what faith is, but maybe you're even still like, I still don't know if I get it. Just keep listening. We could do this. We could look into the Greek of Hebrews 11.1, but you can do that on your own, you know. Um, And I've sometimes, sometimes been asked, you know, as I read from these different translations, I've sometimes been asked, which translation of the Bible is the best? And that can kind of get into a bit of a lengthy conversation because, you know, you can start getting into things like linguistic equivalence and all this sort of thing. But the simple answer is this. The best version of the Bible is the one that you'll read. And and we know, right, from the Bible, from the book of Romans, that faith comes to us by hearing and hearing what? The Word of God. And so if you want to have faith, or if you want to grow in your faith, then read your Bible. Get a Bible, any Bible that you will read, whether it's ESV, NIV, NLT, double column, single column. By the way, I don't know why people read double column Bibles. Single column's the way to go. Um, Aren't all other books single column? Exactly. So mine, it just reads so much nicer, right? But you could get, you could get, you know, my my Bible is bound in Highland goat skin and, you know, has three gold ribbons and everything. But, you know, get a Bible that you read, whatever. My Bible has, each verse starts on a new line, which is kind of helpful for preaching and stuff like that. But whatever it is, if it's a study Bible, if it's a digital Bible, if it's a waterproof Bible, they make those, by the way, waterproof Bibles. They come in handy for baptisms or if you're reading in the jacuzzi. So, um, but all that to say, if you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles here at the church and we'd love to give you one today. Now, I've been so blessed to hear from many people who um, read their Bibles, and, and I've heard from many who have been reading their Bible in the six months that we'll be going through the book of Hebrews. Did anyone take up that challenge that I gave at the start of the... Yes, excellent. So this is the time where I'm checking in on you today of, how's, how's that going, you know? Uh, well, I know that, I, I confess, I definitely dropped off on my reading plan um, for those six months. I'm pretty behind right now. Uh, that's because I have a nature that is just like yours. So, But what I'm reminded about today is how important it is for the life of faith that we would read God's Word and that we would hear God's Word. Because it's in the Bible that we find the promises of God. And it's by hearing the promises of God that we start believing what God has spoken And as we continue believing what God has spoken, we then go on living out what God has promised. 
And that is exactly what it looks like to experience faith. How about this definition of faith? Faith comes by believing and living out what God has spoken to us in his word. For instance, here's just one way that faith has looked in in my life as I have believed God at his word. I believe that when I die, I will go to be in heaven with Jesus. Does anyone else believe that here today? Amen. And I'm confident about everything that God has told me about that. I'm confident about what God has done to allow that to take place. And I'm confident about what God says he will do in this book. I'm assured of the fact that even though I have never seen Jesus with my physical eyes, there is plenty of proof for who he is. There is abundant evidence for what he has done. And Jesus promised heaven to those who believe in him. That is why I look to Jesus. And so I've seen Jesus clearly even though I've never looked upon him with my physical eyes. But here's what I have. I have confident hope that one day soon, I will see Jesus as he really is. I will see Jesus face to face. And I will see him in that way because I now look to him with faith, hope, and love. But there's coming a day when I see Jesus in heaven where faith and hope will no longer be needed. Because faith and hope are required for the things that we do not see. But there's coming a time when I will enter into God's eternal kingdom and I will see Jesus with glorified eyes. But until that day comes, I continue to look to him with eyes of faith. And so that's just one area in which faith works. As it works out, my understanding of the promise that God has made me concerning heaven by looking to Jesus. And then in verse 2, we see that this is how it's always been for the people of God. It says, for by it, that is by faith, the people of old received their commendation. As I said earlier, we look back in history to see what Jesus has done, whereas the Old Testament saints looked forward in history to what Jesus would do. But the people of the Old Covenant please God in the same way that you and I, the people of the New Covenant, please God, and that is to come to Him with faith. As we see in verse 6, or we'll see in just a moment, it says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. That word impossible simply means that. It's impossible. You can't please God without faith. And so people have only ever been commended, uh, received a good testimony, a good report from God by faith, never by works. The people of old received salvation by trusting in the future promises of a coming Messiah. But here's the thing. Even the Old Testament saints had to look back with faith. Everybody at some point or another has to look back in faith at what God has done and what God has said he will do. And verse 3 tells us one way that every human being must look back to God with faith. We must look back to the time 
when there were no humans, when there was nothing to see, when there was no, nothing visible, there was no sight, to a time when there was only God. You know, there was a time like that when nothing existed but God himself. Verse 3 says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So I admit here this morning that I can only scratch the surface of this verse. This is a wonderful, deep truth that I trust that as you interact with God's word, as you mix what you're hearing with faith, God's going to speak to you. But can I just tell you, there is one thing that I know God wants to speak to every single person that's in this room today. And it's that at the most basic understanding, we have to begin with this one truth that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Faith understands that before we existed, before anything that is visible existed, there was God. And God was not made. God has always existed, therefore God is the maker of all things, excluding himself, because he has always been, right? And so he's the creator of all. Listen to what Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 through 17 says. It says, for by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. That's a good, that's good. Or how about this, John chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And the Word was God. He was, in the be- he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Therefore, understand that God is our Creator, and that by His Word, He spoke all things into existence. Full stop. Full stop. You see, you can and you should and you must believe this truth, a truth that is a reality with many proofs. We understand by faith the truth that nothing can exist without an intelligent creator. And we understand with faith that Jesus is the word of God. He is that intelligent creator of all things. So by faith, we understand that this is true, that God is the creator of the universe. And just notice that faith and understanding do not contradict one another. Remember, faith is confidence, reality, surety of what we hope for. Faith is assurance, evidence, and proof of what we cannot see which means that we don't have to check our brains at the door when we come to God by faith. 
You know, when you come to church, you don't need to just sort of turn on stupid mode and just, no, there, you're, you're some really smart people in here, by the way. You could probably talk circles around me when it comes to things like, I don't know, protons, neutrons, and electrons, and all that kind of stuff. I, I didn't do very well in, in, that, in that subject. Mathematics was not my strong suit. But, you know, you could go and learn all the apologetics. You can look into the sciences. You can research the fossil records. And I suggest if this is something of, that piques your interest in order to find the evidence and the proof and the assurance that God really is the creator of all things, then by all means, go and do that. Learn the apologetics. Look into the sciences. Research the fossil records. But after doing all that, after having the abundant evidence that there is a creator, even after all of that, do you know something? You'll still need to have faith that God is the creator of the universe. And we really don't need to look beyond Hebrews 11 or Colossians 1 or John 1 to tell us that. I happen to believe that the sciences are just catching up to what the scriptures have known all along. See, the universe has a creator. The heavens and the earth declare that it has to be so. And it's enough for me that God says here in this book, I'm God and I made all of this. And so with that foundational truth, we now venture into three examples of faith from the scriptures. We're going to look quickly in the rest of our time at the lives of Abel, Enoch, and Noah. These three men are going to serve as examples of what it looks like to have faith in God. So here we go, starting with Abel from verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Now, Abel's life story is found in Genesis chapter 4, and it's pretty short. Uh, Cain and Abel were the first two sons of Adam and Eve, the first man and woman. We're told that Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain was a worker of the ground. And we're told that each of the brothers one day brought an offering to God. However, Abel's offering to God was a more acceptable sacrifice than his brother's Cain. There's varying views on why Abel's offering was accepted and Cain's was not. And it's not totally clear from the biblical text of why God rejected Cain's gift, but we know that after that, Cain was overtaken by sin, and he rose up and he killed his brother Abel. However, what we know about God is that God would have provided a way for both brothers to draw near to him. Abel gave an animal offering while Cain gave a grain offering. And it's interesting because both types of offerings were actually accepted by God once the law was given. So some would say, well, you know, Abel's offering was a blood sacrifice, and that's why God accepted it, because without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. And, and that might be the case, but, but I don't know if it really has to do with the types of offering that each brother gave. I believe it had more to do with the heart in which the offerings were given. 
So perhaps this was the situation. In faith, Abel gave to God the first and the best of what God asked for. Whereas in reluctance, Cain gave God the last and the worst of what God asked for. That's a possibility, but whatever it was, we see that Abel's offering was accepted because it was given in faith. Abel believed and obeyed what God had spoken. Cain did not. And because of Abel's faith, it says he was commended to God as righteous. That commendation from God was shown in the fact that God accepted Abel's gift. Cain's gift, on the other hand, was rejected, and this caused Cain to have murder in his heart. And he rose up, and he killed his brother Abel. This is the first murder in the Bible, and it is the first persecution for faith in the Bible. And ever since that time, there has always been those who are persecuted for their faith by those who do not have faith. And I like what Hebrews chapter 12, verse 24 says. We'll get to that in a few weeks. It says that the blood of Jesus speaks a better word. It's the blood of Abel that cries out for justice, whereas the blood of Jesus cries out for mercy. And then in verse 5, we read about this fellow named Enoch. It says, by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Um, First service, I got this wrong. I said, Cain uh, ended up having a son, and he named him Enoch, and and that was true, but this is a different Enoch. Enoch comes later uh, in Genesis chapter 5, and there's not much that's said about him, but in Genesis 5, verse 22 to 24, this is what we read about the man named Enoch. Not Cain's son, the other one. It says, when Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah, which is, by the way, the oldest guy in the Bible, 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. Now, the part that might stand out to you is how long Enoch lived for. Uh, Well, Before the flood that we'll talk about in Noah's day, people lived much longer years, and Enoch lived 365 years, which, you know, tells us that if you've been following Jesus for 36 years, you have need for endurance, like we saw last week. But I love the simple words that testify of the kind of faith that Enoch had. It says, Enoch walked with God. In one sense, that's not saying a lot. But in another sense, it's saying so much. The simple words, Enoch walked with God, speak about relationship. And I desire for that to be spoken of my relationship with God at the end of my life. Daniel walked with God. What a sweet testimony of a life of faith that is, to have walked with God. Enoch and God were close, and, and they walked together throughout life. I, I heard the story of how this all went down. You know, Enoch and God were going for an afternoon walk one day, 
And uh, it was getting late, and so Enoch said to God, you know, God, we should probably turn back and, you know, go back to my house. And God said, well, we're closer to mine than we are to yours, so why don't we just go to my house? (laughs) And the story of Scripture is that Enoch was taken up so that he did not experience death. God took him up into heaven without him dying He was not found because God had taken him up to heaven. Another person in the Bible who did not die but was taken up to heaven is Elijah. But before Enoch was taken up to God, he was commended as having pleased God. Why? Because he was a man of faith. And he walked with God. And then in verse 7, we look at Noah. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. So Noah's life story is found in Genesis chapter 6 through 10. By the way, that means that If you want to look at all these three lives that we've looked at now in Scripture, Abel, Enoch, and Noah, you only have to read 10 chapters of the Bible to learn about their lives. And it says this of Noah in chapter 6, verse 9, Noah walked with God. The same thing that was said about Enoch. I think that's a wonderful definition of faith, to walk with God. And Noah was warned by God concerning events as yet unseen. There was a flood that was coming. And there was increasing wickedness on the earth at that time to where God said that he was grieved in his heart that he even made man. And so God warned that he was going to send a flood to blot out his creation. And that is until he identified that Noah was a righteous man. But keep in mind that it had never rained on the earth before that time, but God said that he was going to flood the earth, and so people need to have faith to believe what God said he was going to do. God said, I'm going to flood the earth. But again, it had never rained before. What does that even look like? But that's faith, believing that God will do what he says he will do, even if you've never seen anything like it with your own physical eyes. Believing things yet unseen, never before had they seen anything like that, where there was a destruction of that degree and a flooding that would come upon the earth and and wipe out the whole human race except for a man and his family. And so Noah believed God. He believed the warning and he found favor. Noah responded to God's warning and he built an ark. In reverent fear, Noah constructed the ark. And this could have taken anywhere from 50 to 75 years. And never once during that time did Noah see a drop of rain. But he believed that God warned about a coming flood. He'd warned that rain was coming, and I imagine people coming and seeing Noah, this, this man who was building this ark out of the, in the middle of nowhere, saying, Noah, what are you doing? What is this ark for? What's rain? You're crazy, man. But with faith, Noah prepared himself, and he prepared the ark in order to save himself and his household, and, and well, look, it did rain. 
and a flood did come upon the earth that, that, that covered the earth and wiped out everyone except Noah and his family and the animals that were inside that ark that were saved. And because with faith they believed that God promised to do what he would, said he would do, God did it. But do you know what God promised after that? God also promised that he would never flood the earth again like he did in the days of Noah. And every single time you and I see a rainbow, we can be remembering that promise of God. And he'll never flood the earth like he did in Noah's day. But listen, we were warned about something last week, weren't we? If you were here with us. Last Sunday, we were warned about hell. This fury of fire that will consume the adversaries of God. And we were warned about the return of Jesus Christ. And we realize that there's an even greater judgment that is still coming upon the ungodly and the wicked that is so much gnarlier, if I might use that word, than what happened in the days of Noah. And Jesus will come again, and he will take vengeance upon those who have rejected God. Now, I've never seen hell, but I believe that God has warned about it in his word, and I believe it's true. I've never seen Jesus with my physical eyes, but I believe that he's coming again, and he'll appear in the sky, and he will take those with him who believe in him. And there's an escape, a refuge in Jesus for things that are yet unseen because there is a judgment that is coming, but there's a salvation that has been offered in Jesus Christ. Do you realize that Jesus is the greater ark? Will you believe in Jesus and be saved before judgment comes? You've never seen hell? You've never seen anything like a second coming of a of a God in the, in the sky? But do you believe with faith that these are real? And, and I do. I, I believe. I am confident and assured of this very thing because God has said he will do it in his word. And do you believe in the first coming of Jesus? There's abundant evidence and proof. There's a surety from history and from, 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 from testimony after testimony that Jesus lived and died and rose again, that Jesus ascended to heaven and that right now he's at the right hand of God the Father and he promised that he'd come coming of Jesus. But did you know this, that the second coming of Jesus is prophesied twice as many times in the scriptures as the first coming of Jesus, which means you should be doubly confident that Jesus is coming again, and he's bringing salvation to those who believe, and he's bringing judgment upon those who have refused to believe. And this is faith. This is taking God at his word, what he is spoken and saying, I believe this even though it's unseen, even though this is my hope. You know, there will be a generation on this earth at the time of Christ's coming that will be like Enoch, who will walk with God and then they are not. There will be a generation of people who will be taken up alive with Christ. Scripture tells us this. It will be those who walk by faith in the promise of Jesus' coming 
Enoch is a type of those saints who will meet the Lord in the air at his coming. Believe with faith that judgment is coming upon those who are not living with faith in Jesus Christ. And today, you can seek refuge in Jesus because Jesus is the greater ark. Jesus is the better able. His blood speaks a better word. Jesus is the better Enoch, where he will take his people and meet them in the air. He's the better Noah, who will spare all those who find refuge with him in his household. Jesus is better. And are you looking to him with faith today? I pray you are, because verse 6 says, and without faith, it's impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God, listen to this, must believe that he exists. I mean, that's just the starting point. Do you believe that God exists? But after believing that God exists, it's with faith that we also realize that he rewards those who seek him. Do you believe God exists? And are you seeking him with faith? That's what God's word is calling us to. And today you can respond to God's word with faith and say, I believe God exists and I will seek him with faith. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this day. God, as we enter into a time of worship, Jesus, we thank you that you are worthy of it all. And that right now we look to you as the way, the truth, the life. We realize that no one can come to the Father except through you. And so, Jesus, we want to draw near to you today with faith. And God, I want to pray for those who already have a saving faith in Jesus Christ. I pray that today, by hearing your word, that they would grow in their faith. But God, if today's the day where the word went out, where the gospel went out, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has died for the payment of sins and that he rose from the dead three days later to give us the promise of eternal life. I pray that today, if anyone has heard that message and they say, I want to believe that. I want that hope. I want that kind of confidence. I want that kind of assurance for when I die. Lord, I pray that right now, if there's anyone in this place who wants to receive you as their God and Savior, I pray right now, Spirit, would you work in their hearts. And as you're working right now, giving them faith, I pray that they would be able to pray this prayer in all sincerity. And so if this is you, pray this prayer with me to receive Jesus if you've never received him before. Lord Jesus, I believe I'm a sinner. Jesus, I believe that you are a savior. I thank you, Jesus, that by your death and resurrection, I can have the hope of eternal life. Jesus, I want to begin to live for you today and walk with you as Noah and as Enoch did. I want to walk with you, God, all the days of my life with faith. So today, would you be my God? Will you be my Savior? Will you be my friend? Amen.